Hi, I'm Wendy Dean. And I'm Simon Talbot. And this is Moral Matters. Dr. Jeffrey Kane is a past president of the American Academy of Family Physicians and teaches in the University of Colorado Department of Family Medicine. He served as Chief of Family Medicine at the Children's Hospital Colorado and, as you'll hear, he founded Tar Wars, a national children's tobacco-free education project that has more than 10 million children in 50 states and 16 countries. He chairs the Board of Directors of the Amputee Coalition and his efforts have resulted in the passage of prosthetic access laws in 21 states as well as the introduction of bipartisan federal prosthetic insurance legislation. Dr. Kane holds the first gold medal in adaptive slalom snowboarding from the U.S. National Snowboarding Championships. And he is a fascinating guy to talk to. Unfortunately, Simon couldn't be with us for the conversation, but he's had a chance to listen since. So why don't we have a listen? Jeff Kane, I'm really glad that you have joined us today on the podcast. Thanks, Wendy. It's nice to be here. I've appreciated your articles in the past and look forward to our conversation. Oh, thanks so much. So could you just tell our listeners a little bit about your background? I mean, we're, we're sort of here. What I'm hoping that we can talk with them about is some of the advocacy that you've done in the legislature in Colorado, but I would love people to understand why that's so important to you. Whitney, I'm a, I'm a family doctor in my training, but I think that I should really say that I'm an advocate. I believe that physicians have a voice in their office and more importantly, a voice outside their office. I spent 20 years working on tobacco prevention and cessation with a program called Tar Wars to help children on, choose not to smoke. And we even got George Lucas to sign off that. We grew that to 10 million kids in 50 states with the American Academy of Family Physicians. I have been an advocate for healthcare for all for all of my career. And we're going to talk today about something I came upon by accident. Literally. So, literally by accident. So, uh, 25 years ago, I had a, a bad accident. I woke up in the intensive care unit of the same hospital I was making rounds on. I was oh, on gosh. a ventilator for two weeks. Um, I crushed my face, my chest, my arms. 18 hours just on my face, name a facial fracture, infraorbital ridge, blowout, uh, orbital blowout, uh, TMJs, uh, jaw. And at the same time I was in the coma, um, they chose to amputate uh, one of my legs. And uh, six years later, I electively had my second leg amputated because the good leg was the leg that was my prosthetic. It was carbon fiber, and the bad leg mm. was, the, was the flesh and bone leg later on. Yeah. You learn a lot of different things when you're a patient on the other end of the stethoscope from your role as a physician. Right. Things are very different from that perspective. I mean, I've had the same experience. So what would, I mean, I, I can't even imagine how traumatic and how frightening that was to wake up as a different person. And to feel like so much had been decided for you. A lot had been decided for me. They, they, being on the ventilator is a bit like being in a, in, a, in a movie. I tell people it was like being in the Wizard of Oz when the house comes down and 
Dorothy has been with her friends and she steps out and it's this weird place with different colors. And I, I could recognize people's faces, but I was in a place that I wasn't really fully there. And people would talk with me later and I'd say, I remember your voice, but I don't. And you remind me, and they'd say, oh, I, I took care of your ventilator for a week. And I, I could remember those things. Mm. And so I was present, but in a way that was with weird colors and changes. And, and a lot of decisions were made for me, as you said, um, including uh, having my legs off. Uh, I was very, very fortunate, though, because when I woke up, my best friend had done in the early days of the Internet, had found pictures of people that were doing cool things. So I was a and still am an athlete. Um, and there are pictures of people skiing and there are p- pictures of people that were working or driving. Um, yeah. I had the good fortune as being a skier to go to movies from a, a, a filmmaker named Warren Miller all of my life. And oh, every yeah. year, if you're a skier, you know that right? you see Warren Miller in these movies and he always includes an adaptive skier. So I woke up already knowing I could do it. I just have to figure yeah. out a different way to do it. So, Yeah. I mean, that's great that you had that. So take us to the advocacy piece of this and how maybe being a patient moved you towards advocacy in a different way or towards different actions. Yeah, what what I discovered when I woke up with support of my friends and family that I I learned that, you know, people that have different limbs than they were initially issued – could wake up and, and still participate as an athlete or their work, could still date, those kinds of things. But I didn't realize that they had to do bake sales. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go fund uh, me. I, bake yeah, sales. It, go, mm-hmm. go, it seemed kind of crazy. It was when I, when I got my first leg, they said, um, you know, here's your first leg. And I was learning to walk on it. They said, that'll be $9,000. <laughs> this was 25 years ago. Wow. And I said, well, wait. I have insurance. I'm a family doctor on the staff of this hospital. Surely you guys pay for prosthetics. And they said, yeah, we pay for $1,000. <gasps> I said, oh, that's craziness. That's, that, I work here and I'm coming back to teach residents and take care of the underserved here in your clinic. And it just seemed crazy to me. And they said, no, that's the way that it is. It's part of durable medical equipment. That's all we pay for. Wow. And so I'm fortunate as a, as a family doctor Family doctors occupy the same economic ring, rung on the ladder as pediatricians and psychiatrists and telemedicine doctors, but it's enough to be able to pay for a prosthetic right. without, you know, I could still have pizza on Friday night, but if I was a fifth grade school teacher, I might not be able to afford a, an arm or leg. And one of the things I encourage people to do, I was, I was going to a support group to learn from other people what's it like to live without a leg or an arm. Mm-hmm. And I asked, I said to this group, this is crazy. And they said, I heard around the room, oh, no, that's what it is. My, one in person's insurance company said that they only paid for one, one prosthetic leg for, per lifetime. <gasps> think, think about that. You only get one, yeah. like one shoe for the rest of your life. And, wow. and some people said, oh, they'll pay for my leg, but they won't pay for, there's a computer knee that helps people better balance and go up and down stairs. They weren't going to pay for that. Or, um, or like me, they would only pay for part of it. And that seemed crazy. And I was, uh, when I, in my little, in my little church, it turns out my state senator, um, inside Colorado was, was a member of my church. And I, I 
took him out for lunch and I said, Doug, can you help me understand this? And he said, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> he said, no, I can't actually. <laughs> <laughs> actually, he said, he said he couldn't because he was a Democrat in a state in Colorado at the time, was Republican House and Senate and Governor's Office, and they were killing mandate bills. Yeah. But um, what we discovered is if you ask anybody, if you got hurt, do you think that insurance would cover your arms or your legs? And everybody says yes. Um, and from that tobacco background, and I, at the time I was the president-elect of the Colorado Academy of Family Physicians, and I had been working on tobacco tax. I'd been down at the state capitol, and I knew that, that it's possible to make a difference. Yeah. So um, I asked the folks around the table if they were interested in that, and we put together a group. We learned a bunch of lessons, especially in a place like Colorado that was proud of killing mandate bills. Uh, we learned that when you combine stories mm. uh, with, with data um, and you can help frame what you're talking about, um, that you can make a difference even when you think that it's, it's hard. It turns out that as physicians, we're really good with listening to stories and putting groups together. Um, and it's when you do that, lots of things are possible. Um, so around that table, we had a person that was a psychologist, somebody that raced on the U.S. National Disabled Ski Team. We mm -hmm. had somebody that had crashed his motorcycle that had all kinds of tattoos. And uh, they were interesting, passionate people. And we went to the group of people that make arms and legs prosthetists, and they were willing to work with us. And we put together a small group. We had to learn to do some things that were new. Uh, it turns out that uh, we, we, we surveyed people in Colorado. We, we took 100 people. He said, do you think if you lost your leg, you'd cover it? Everybody said, oh, of course. But we looked at their insurance plans, and less than a third of them had insurance coverage for prosthetic oh my gosh. arms or legs. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. Um, we did some, st some basic studies to find out that just that paying for that is really cheap for a population, but expensive for a person. Um, yeah. One woman who'd chosen her job so that her insurance could cover her prosthetic leg for her, for her child, and that was an above-knee amputation. That would have been $35,000. And she chose her job based on insurance coverage, and as soon as she got the job, they changed the plan, and it didn't <gasps> work. And she said, well, how am I going to cover this? And they said, well, you could put away a little bit each month. And she said, but my salary, my take-home pay is actually less than that per year. So, oh, my gosh. Um, so she and her daughter showed up for us. Um, we found out it was about 12 and a half cents per member per month. And if you step back and you look at the incentives of for-profit insurance companies, it's the perfect thing to, to, to cut, Wendy. Um, nobody thinks they're going to lose an arm or leg. Everybody thinks right. they're going to get covered. Nobody thinks, gosh, you couldn't cut breast cancer screening, but you can cut things that people don't think that they need that don't have an advocacy group. And they don't want to imagine what their life would be like if they did face that. It's so catastrophic. Oh. And so it's easy because people say, well, that won't happen to me or to my loved ones. And if you think about what insurance, you think insurance's job is to be able to help us economically and, and, and survive a, a, a catastrophe that you don't expect in your life. Nobody expects this, but you could join this club, Wendy, tomorrow walking across the street. Um, Correct. Yeah. And so some of the things we, we put together a group and we started out, you know, with enthusiasts. We were Colorado, uh, what was it? 
Colorado Amputees for Insurance Equality, which works really well on the, on the Democrat side of the aisle. Um, but we discovered that that didn't resonate with people that were libertarian or conservatives that thought that government shouldn't have a role in this. Hmm. So we, we changed our names to the Colorado Coalition of Working Amputees. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and our job was, we, you know, it's, 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 we had to pass this bill so people could get back to work, back to their families, back to their church. And in Colorado at the time, that worked. We also took people that were leaders in the House and Senate to prostitutes offices. And when they could see people who had this, what seems to the world like a catastrophe, being fitted for prosthetic arms and legs and aiming at things like water skiing. Right. Or, or they want to rock climb again. Or they right. want to go back to work. They saw this wasn't a handout. Or this was, this is bootstraps, literally bootstraps uh, to getting people back in. And so even people that traditionally fought prosthetic mandates were in favor of this. And we, we, we were very successful in Colorado. Uh, we, we passed it in our first year. So a lot of the work that I did before I started doing mm -hmm. this work in clinician distress mm -hmm. was finding new ways to care for the veterans who came back from Iraq and Afghanistan yeah. with combat injuries. A mm -hmm. lot of them in the, from 2006 on were amputees. And mm -hmm. so one of our, one of our goals was to return them as close as possible to form, function, and appearance. Ooh. But I think the other thing that, that those veterans did, those combat veterans did, was to raise awareness of what's possible and mm -hmm. to demand that their function be considered um, beyond just being able to do the activities of daily living. And I think really they raised awareness in the public of how important that was for young, otherwise healthy individuals. And I wonder the, if that has made any difference for what you're doing now, the advocacy that you're doing now. Certainly, Wendy. Uh, uh, that it's the, the signature visible injury from Iraq and Afghanistan is an amputation. I know there are also a lot of people that have uh, mental and emotional consequences that are also the other kinds of, of wounds that come back from the, those conflicts. I will tell you that I've been to the Center for the Intrepid, which is the, the place that people that are part of active duty, and they get excellent care. They have a psychologist and a prosthetist and a physical therapist and a rehab doc living with the people there. And I'm inspired when I go there because that's what I hope every person in our country that gets injured should have. We have a fragmented healthcare system, and it's really Somebody that lives in the civilian world doesn't get that same kind of care. Um, everyone that finishes up their life at, at the Center for the Intrepid walks away with a, a, a regular walking around leg plus an athletic leg and, and a leg to help them in the water or the shower. And the visibility around that and around the Paralympic Games, I think, has changed the way that we think of amputation. I know a lot of people, even in that little group, would hide their legs when they were, when they were in public. And... I, on the other hand, have grown up inside the world that you're talking about. And I, when I wear shorts and have carbon fiber showing, that's actually part of, that's interesting to the world and not dangerous to the world in the U.S. It's not the same way every place in the world. I represent the United States at the World Congress on Primary Care. And sometimes I use a wheelchair and sometimes I walk. And 
when I would be riding a bicycle in Germany or Prague, people would stop on the street because they'd never seen that before. Whereas in the United States, Toyota includes that in their ads during the Super Bowl <laughs> of right. having somebody snowboard. So the, 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 what's capable or what's possible is different today in the eyes of the public and in the eyes of the person that lives with limb loss. Yeah. So before we started recording, you had talked about doing advocacy for children. Well, let's, let's come back to that. Okay. So after we finished our, our bill in Colorado, the folks that volunteered um, on our committee that helped pass this law went to the national organization. There's a group called the Amputee Coalition that helps people understand what it's like to live with limb loss. How do I work? How do I get a prosthesis? What's it mean emotionally? Can I date? <laughs> Those kinds of questions. And we gave a class on what we did in Colorado. And uh, people, it was on fire. This was in 2001. People were wanted to know more. And so what we did is we trained people to do that. And in the next seven years, we passed laws with the MPT Coalition. We started their new, their new advocacy committee. And I think people that are listening know, you know what happens when you show up in a meeting, you raise your hand, you say, what are you guys doing? They say, we're making you chair of our new committee. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's the, true. The, the, <laughs> but that's good because those same skills yeah. you just learned in healthcare, putting a group together, that you learned around advocacy, around moral injury, that you learned about advocacy in the Colorado Capitol, help you transfer those skills to other people. And we passed laws in 22 states. Um, and the good news is that, that you pick up about half the people that are employed. Everybody with Medicare gets covered. In Medicaid, it's optional that most states cover. Uh, workman's comp covers, but it's just it's people that, that, that have a job that can't afford a leg to stand on. And when yeah. you pass a state law, you cover about half the people in the state that have a job. And those are people who have standard insurance. Unfortunately, you miss the people that are in the self-insured big companies. Those are Correct. called ERISA plans. The only way to do that is to pass federal legislation. It's another example about how crazy and fragmented our healthcare system. We can't agree that this is what healthcare insurances should do. Duh, everybody should get an arm or a leg. That's so, arms and legs are not luxury items, are not optional. Right. So, um, so we're working federally, but that's a slower pass. And I think the other thing that people don't realize, lots of people don't realize, is that 40% of healthcare insurance now is self-insured. Yep. Are companies that self-insure. And- I would challenge most of our listeners to know whether or not their health insurance is self-insured. It, it turns out in Colorado, you can have the same insurance company. It might be United or Anthem. And, you're, and until you look at the details on the corner of the card, Correct. there's a little insignia that says, oh, you have your law, your insurance has to apply to Colorado state law. And if it doesn't have that on there, it doesn't have to follow Colorado state law. And so you might call up your orthopedic surgeon or your prosthetist and say, do you take my insurance? And they'll say, maybe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Does it have a sticker on there? <laughs> so. Exactly. And it's also, it's that crazy thing of there is that big, huge loophole if you're self-insured that yep. you can get around covering many, many things because you don't fall under state law. Exactly. And I think people who are working for those companies don't know that about their health insurance. They also... Most people don't realize that it's your employer who decides what your health insurance covers. But then beyond that, that some employers who self-insure aren't held to the same standard as companies that yes. insure in a, in what we think of as a more traditional way. Certainly. And, and I'll also say even 
even when you have a law and you think that you've got it covered, uh, a law that says that I quote, uh, your coverage is limited to the most appropriate device for replacement of whole or part of an arm or leg is defined by the treating physician. That's very carefully worded. It says the insurance company doesn't pick what's the right arm or leg. My doctor gets to choose that. Right. Um, uh, and the first time I went to get new feet, um, it turns out the insurance company said, well, we'll cover the sockets, but we're not going to cover the feet. Is it? What do you mean? It's, it said, and, 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 and United Healthcare said, well, your law says recover coverage in whole or part, an arm or leg. It doesn't say hands or feet. Um, and we <laughs> took to the insurance commissioner's office. And of course, we got that covered. I think I made a mistake at the time. We should have taken them to Jay Leno because I wanted to see the CEO of United say why they didn't cover hands or feet. Um, but um, that's yeah. a, a different conversation. And, and many people may that are, that are not that don't have the sophistication of understanding insurance or their advocacy skills may see it's not covered and roll over and not right. know that they didn't know that Colorado has a law. They didn't know that their state has a law or what the law reads to be able to push and advocate for them. I had to go through at least two levels of denial before I got it covered for something that I knew the language of the law. So, right. So right now we're working on trying to see if we can get those laws in other states. Um, but the other thing that we're trying to do is to be able to, to change that. We used in our law in Colorado, Medicare rules, which is pretty good coverage. It turns out that Medicare covers the most appropriate device, but that covers a device that's aimed at laws for adults, 65 year olds. And it means right. that the lay that you use in your daily life. Um, but what about what we talked about earlier? If you're a young man or woman that was in the armed services, for you to be participating in life, you will need to participate in not just the most basic walking around, but you want to participate in your unit. You want to participate as a soldier. You want to participate as an athlete, a father, a mother. So one of the things we've discovered is that young people, if you have a disability, it's hard to be active with a disability. Right. People with disabilities are five times, four and a half, five times less likely to be active. Mm. And what I mean is they're less likely to be involved in school sports, activities that things like playing with their family or playing softball. Or in Colorado, uh, uh, it's hard to go skiing or snowboarding if you have a disability. We have adaptive programs, but it's expensive. Right. An adaptive ski device or adaptive uh, a prosthetic that allows you to ski or snowboard is different. One of the things I discovered that when I was doing my recovery is that people weren't snowboarding or skiing wearing a prosthesis 25 years ago. But in that time in between, I taught myself to snowboard and raced on a snowboard nationally. And now wow. we teach people with prosthetics to use their prosthetic on a standard ski or snowboard, but you need a different foot or you need a different knee if you're going to do those things. And those are expensive. You're not going to walk around. It's a little bit like thinking about golf clubs. <laughs> if, you're, if you're playing golf and you're putting or you're trying to get out of a sand trap, it's different than driving off a green. Right. If you're driving your car and you're on a racetrack, it's different than if you're four-wheeling or driving to the supermarket. You need a different suspension. You need a different foot or a different right. knee. And so for, for families, that if your child wants to run, that 
that foot alone is going to cost $5,000. And if you're an above the knee, it might be $30,000 by the time you do those. So kids aren't active. And activity isn't just about the physical benefits. It also right. means you, the emotional benefit of being active in the world. It means the, the emotional benefit of being active with the other school kids. The growth that you get from learning to play softball with other kids in your, in your class. To be right. not the last one chosen on your team. To actually be part of the team. So right. uh, this last year um, in Maine for the first time and now in Colorado we're running a bill that's called So Kids Can Move. Mm-hmm. And that will require the insurance company to pay for an additional socket or and foot or device so the kids can play softball or they can go running. Um, they could be with their family on the ski hills in Colorado. And what we're discovering is like many things in in the world, it's like a spark that's happened. And right now, it's not just Colorado and Maine. There's New Mexico and other states are excited about this too. And people want a voice. So people are coming forward to say, how can we help? I think when you get, you know this in, in, as we talk about moral injury, but when you, when you find something that sparks inside the lives and souls of people, they, they want to participate. They want to have a voice. People want to have a voice in their lives, and do they want to make a difference in the world? Right, and and I think for physicians, at least, this it links to moral injury because we know what's available, but our patients can't get it because of these constraints. And so, knowing how to take action, mm-hmm. where to go to support these kinds of efforts, is really important. So, does the does the amputee coalition still have those? Do they still teach people advocacy? Oh, yes. They now have an advocacy department. Uh, We have a a program that's called the Lead Advocate Program. So if you want your voice to be heard, you sign up there and they they send you uh, action alerts. We, Because of that group, we put on a a Capitol Hill Advocacy Day to bring people in short pants, by the way, in skirts. Awesome. To Capitol Hill to to walk in to see their senators and surprise them with the fact that, it, that they have to have a bake sale <laughs> to be able to afford their arm or their leg. Right. Right. And I think what what's important in what you're saying there is it's not that legislators are evil. Oh, no. It's that they may never have thought about it. And so it's important just to come as an educator and as an, as an advocate, not necessarily um, a lobbyist, but as somebody to say, I really want you to understand what the ground truth is of this. And what, what you're talking about is the power of story, Wendy, that um, when you take a, a story that people relate to one-on-one, the legislator didn't know that. <laughs> they assumed if they had that injury that their leg would be covered, their prosthetic would be covered. And so you could see this aha moment on their face. And then you tell a story about the difference that it makes in your life to be able to work, to play, those kinds of things. And then you, it's not enough to just do story, but the right. power of story combined with the data and the facts behind it, how much it costs, what people expect. And then ask the question, what should be part of our, if, if we had a healthcare system, what is it that people should be able to access? That's an easy, that's an easy sell for prosthetic arms and legs. But you have to be able to find the story that works inside combined with the data. And you combine the two of those with sophisticated approach that's political that you learn in, in doing this. 
and then you can do things like pass a law. And it doesn't yeah. make a difference just with your leg, but legs with everybody in the state of Colorado. It's not just the moral injury in your office, but how do we, how do we change a system so that physicians can thrive in the work that they're called to? Right. We do this because it's a calling in healthcare. Yeah. And it's not just, it's not just with arms and legs. It can be with any number of things. You, people can no. still follow the same playbook. Yes. So my hope that the lesson around Tar Wars <laughs> was that <laughs> when I was doing children's tobacco-free education was that if I could get a toolkit in people's hands, then they owned Tar Wars in their state. Right. The lesson for the advocacy around arms and legs was to build toolkits and build self-efficacy in the minds of people that are used to being, if you're a person with limb loss and you're lying in your hospital bed and you wonder, can I work? Can I walk? Can I ski? Part of, part of learning to do a sport is learning self-efficacy. Part of going downtown to the capital is self-efficacy and learning what you can do. It's the same thing. As to, if we can help everyone listening to this podcast say, my voice and my story combined with the science that we do in, in the healthcare field can be even more effective and powerful and make a difference in the life, the way I live my life as an amputee or the way I live my life as a physician. I think that's such a great, that's such a great story in itself. <laughs> Jeff, I want to thank you so much for coming today. I, I think this was a fantastic conversation on multiple levels. I'm so, I'm, I'm sorry that you came to advocacy in this different way, but you've changed lives and I really, I really um, admire that. Thank you. Thank you. Would you I, I like to say I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose a path of losing your legs for anybody, but it turns out that along that path, that the view's pretty good at times. <laughs> it's take, that path has taken me to some places I never would have guessed. And so it's taken me to Washington, D.C., to the Capitol, and it's taken me to our conversation today, Wendy. So thank you for this privilege. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Well, Wendy, one of the things that comes to mind as I listen to someone like Dr. Kane is the idea of physicians as advocates of both their patients in the consulting room, but also on a wider level and advocates at a legislative level and a national level. Absolutely. I mean, I think what struck me so much about this conversation with him was that he wasn't satisfied with the first answer that he got. He kept digging and digging and advocating and trying to reach for levers wherever he could find them to make things better, not for himself, because as he said, I could have gotten these prosthetics. It, it was not a hard, it was not a big hardship for me, but my patients need better. Yeah. Yeah. As we've said a lot of times, when you are a patient, it changes your perspective. And I know a lot of us are patients at various times, but uh, I don't think there are many things that quite compare to an intensive care unit stay and the things that go with that. And, you know, he's an example of a number of people who I know who are outstanding hospital leaders who have had that experience as a patient and have taken those very important lessons and used them to help shape the way that they uh, run a hospital. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there is something that you just, you can't necessarily empathize 
with that experience until you've lived through it. You, you try, mm-hmm. but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little bit like being a parent. Until, until you're a parent, <laughs> you can imagine as much as you like, but when that little tiny bomb goes off in your house, <laughs> it's a different thing. Yeah. Jeff also spoke about how stories combined with data is a very important way to get a message across and a very important way to work with those who are in the legislature. And, you know, one of the questions he was asking was how to make systemic change happen in a way that physicians can help patients. And he said, you know, it's it's the voice and the data that allows you to do that. And I think, again, that's something that we've seen over and over again. It's really important to have data, but it's also really important to have a connection and an understanding of what this is really like. Yeah, we need we need to engage both the head with the data and the heart with the stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully in some way uh, that's something that we're able to do here. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for Moral Matters. Our producer is Dave Young at Widget Studios. As you know, we are a grassroots organization and your contributions will keep these episodes coming. If any of the work that we do is helpful to you, please give back if you can by making a donation at our website, fixmoralinjury.org. While you're there, go to the podcast page for all the resources we mentioned in today's episode and browse through the pages and pages of other resources we've cataloged. The book list alone could keep you busy for months. And you can always help by spreading the word and encouraging conversation. Share this episode with friends and colleagues or use the social media links in the show notes and tag us. We would love to hear more from you. Plus, if you subscribe, rate, and review the show, it makes it easier for new listeners to find us. Thank you for listening. And stay well.